At Morgan Stanley, old school hard work meets bold new thinking. At 88 years old, we still see the world with the wonder of new eyes, helping you discover untapped possibilities and relentlessly working with you to make them real. Old school grit, new world ideas. Morgan Stanley. To learn more, visit morganstanley.com slash why us. Investing involves risk. Morgan Stanley Smith Barney, LLC. Fast Money starts right now. I'm Melissa Lee. Tonight's trader lineup, Guy Adami, Tim Seymour, Steve Grasso, and Karen Feinerman. Coming up on Fast, pilot problems. What Delta just said about the future that could signal more headwinds for the troubled airline industry. Plus, the gold miners rallying today. Our traders will break down how they are playing this big move and later making the bacon. How breakfast has given a nice sizzle to this fast food stock. But we begin with a big bounce for the banks. The financials leading today's charge rallying more than 2.5%. And check out this move in Wells Fargo. The stock climbing nearly 7% today on reports that Goldman Sachs is considering acquiring the bank. Now, we don't normally talk about rumors or speculation except when the stock moves on it, and it did. So, Tim, what's your take on the action in Wells Fargo? What's your take on a possible uh, M&A deal? Well, this this kind of news, first of all, this rumor was out a couple of days ago in the market, and certainly uh, market participants didn't do anything with this news yesterday because we talked about the down move. Um, this deal makes a lot of sense if you think about the environment, especially the environment over the last couple of years for both of these players. Um, I think this deal would be a ridiculously difficult deal, even if we're just going hypotheticals, to get through on the regulatory side. So um, I don't think either one of these have a lot of friends in Washington. Uh, I do think, and, and again, this is not me saying that. This is just my sense of, of where this would be. But, but, but look, I, I don't think this deal is, is going to happen. I, I do think that you know, Goldman has continued to build out kind of their retail uh, platform in, in Marcus. I think Wells Fargo has a lot of issues um, that I'm not sure Goldman would even want. Anything at the right price and obviously the move we've seen. Um, but this snapback uh, today, I think, is more in line with the banks. Uh, I think this news has been out there and you could have heard this news a year ago. Um, 11% low uh, in shares of Wells Fargo in general, aside from today's move, Karen. Um, but when it comes to regulatory issues, Tim's right. I mean, not only do they face regulatory issues in terms of the ethical violations that they've, uh, ethical problems that they've had in the past couple of years, but they've also got 10%, I think more than 10% of the market share for deposits already, which makes it a very large player. Yeah. Right. I don't know how much Goldman's deposit share must be much lower than that. But I, I'm pretty dismissive of this deal. I mean, both stocks are, you can't do a cash deal this big, right? Wells Fargo is significantly bigger. I think the market cap, which is $98 billion and is at a, you know, more than a decade low, is significantly bigger than Goldman Sachs market cap. They would have to do stock. Uh, they're both trading at well below tangible book. Um, I, 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 it's hard for me to have Wells Fargo board think, you know what, now's the time for us to sell. Uh, that just doesn't make sense to me. But I, I get what Tim's saying is right. I mean, Goldman Sachs wants to sort of remake their business and have more of a, a commercial bank franchise than they do. Um, but th- th- this I find really far-fetched. I think, I think it was just this has been the worst performer of the banks. Mm-hmm. So maybe, you know, if we're in a bank rally... It certainly has the most room to the upside. There's also a lot of concern that some of these banks may be forced to cut their dividend. Wells Fargo was named as the number one 
most likely candidate by KBW in a recent note because they have one of the highest payout ratios. Right now, I believe as of the close, it was north of 8%, Guy Adami. They've got a, a few other regionals on that list, Citizens Financial, as well as others. But you can see there, Wells Fargo, head and shoulders above the rest. Uh, City right now is 4.9%. A lot of the regionals have 7%, 6% dividend yields, by the way. Yeah. And you know, so I'm not splitting the atom here, but the reason for that is because of the huge stock. move to the downside in the stock. So the, the only way to remedy that is obviously for the stock to go higher, and that takes care of itself. I mean, I don't necessarily want to go down this Wells Fargo, Goldman Sachs rabbit hole. I mean, the last huge acquisition Goldman did was 18 or so years ago uh, when they bought Spear Leads. And quite frankly, respectfully, that didn't work out all that well. With that said, the way to trade it, and, you know, Tuesday we talked about bookmarking things. Well, it's another bookmark day, but specifically for the banks. And I think finally the banks have given you something to trade against. And good for Dan, Nathan, and Carter for being negative. But today's one of those reversal days that you have to take, uh, you have to take a hard look at. And to me, for the first time in a while, Goldman Sachs against $82, which was basically today's low, Makes a good makes a good risk reward trade going into the next couple of weeks. You agree, Grasso? Yeah, I've been negative on the XLF. I think Carter got that right as far as looking at uh, some chart work there, and this seems to me a, a little bit of hope for pie in the sky, considering Wells Fargo was at the center of the uh, government's target and bullseye. Past practices, still a big problem for uh, for Wells Fargo. I think people are just using this as a way of getting out of their longs. I don't believe uh, the story, and even if the story is correct, there's nothing really resolved on credit losses. Uh, let's remember where rates are. Zero. Let's remember where they're going. Probably negative. So I think the tough sell is on value right now, and specifically in the financial space, value has been what's been thrown out. It cannot perform for longer than a handful of days so maybe you get a couple more days off the bottom in Wells Fargo, mm -hmm. but I would sell it. And we were just talking about that value versus growth, Tim. And today seems to be a reversal of the trend that we have yeah. seen of late, which is growth triumphing. Today, value did nicely. Well, again, we, we, had to, we had to get some kind of a bounce. And if you, uh, one of the, the, the multiples I brought up a couple of days ago, the divergence between PE multiples uh, on a forward basis of growth versus value, 25 times forward versus about 16 times uh, on value. At some point, uh, I think you have to, to see some convergence. But the bounce in the banks today, and I'm not as negative uh, as Dan and Carter have been, but good for those guys. I, I think you get to a place here. You know, this, like, for example, look at PNC and look at um, them selling their, their BlackRock stake. Look at their, their tier one capital at this point. It's 10.6, it's 10.7 percent. Some of these banks can be very opportunistic in here. I, I think, and if you look at the performance of the banks as a sector, um, they're down about 12.5 percent since the group reported earnings on April 13th through 16th and started that with J.P. Morgan. You know, that's because these banks, and maybe rightly so, throw huge provisions out there. Um, some of these banks are, are going to be armed with balance sheet and I'm not saying that the environment changes overnight, but some of these banks are being painted with a brush. It is a good time for stock picking. All right, let's talk more about the banks. Bring in RBC's Gerard Cassidy. Gerard, great to have you with us. Um, do you also dismiss, like our traders, this uh, Goldman Sachs for Wells Fargo report? And if not Goldman Wells, then what other deals could there, might there be in your space? 
Yes, I'm in the camp that dismisses that rumor as well. And the reason being is uh, a couple of points. First and foremost, you're talking about two global SIPI banks, so-called GSIP banks. I don't think the regulators are, uh, would allow two GSIP banks to merge. Uh, number two, you're also we're in the middle of a recession. And you go back to 08, 09, the only types of deals that are done in recessions are distress deals because you don't know how to price the assets of either company. So uh, very unlikely. Now, longer term, Goldman, uh, I think, looks at the model that J.P. Morgan has built and really likes that model. So could something happen down the road? Possibly. But I'm in the camp that I would dismiss that uh, rumor that's not likely to happen. What, what would Goldman be interested in buying, in your view? What they're trying to do is they're trying to grow traditional commercial banking businesses. We're all familiar with Marcus, of course. They also have the deal with Apple for the credit card business, so that's consumer lending. They're building out their transactional commercial business where they're going to be offering treasury products to their corporate customers. They're building up their corporate loan book. So when you look at the diversity that Bank America has under Brian Moynihan and J.P. Morgan under Jamie Dimon, they have diversified revenue streams of not only capital markets and investment banking revenues, but also consumer revenues and commercial revenues. And I believe that's the ultimate goal of Goldman Sachs is getting into that uh, type of model. Uh, in this environment, Tim was saying stock picking is going to be very important in this sector in particular. So what are your top picks, Gerard? I think stock picking is going to be very important because some banks are going to behave and, and work better because of the underlying credit quality. One of the best names I think investors can own is going to be Bank America. It's one of our universal banks, as you well know. The valuation is very attractive. Uh, Moynihan has led to the, the recovery in that bank and has built a conservative balance sheet, and that is very important in this type of environment. Another bank that I think is very strong is this Truist. Truist is the merger of BB&T and SunTrust. They have enormous cost savings coming. Not only that, they've been able to build up their loan loss reserves more effectively than other banks in preparation of the credit problems that the banks are going to have in the second half of the year. And then if people want to take on some risk, I think this PNC story is very positive, too. They have the proceeds from the sale of their BlackRock investment, and they now can be opportunistic to build out their franchise uh, over the next 12 months. Are there regional banks that have specific exposures to different types of industries that may be hit the hardest, Gerard, or, or maybe being thrown out because the assumption is that they are hit the hardest? That's a really good question because we know from experience when certain sectors of the economy are hit hard as our leisure sector, if you want to call it that, um, we've got to be careful not to own stocks that have overexposure to those sectors. Now, fortunately, amongst the biggest banks, Nobody has big exposures to hotels or to restaurants or to uh, fast food um, um, companies that could be you know, problematic. They have exposure, don't get me wrong, but it's very small and manageable. Um, when we look at other sectors, energy is one, and we know what happened back in the 1980s the Texas banks. So to me, it's energy and the leisure sector, but none of our big banks have excessive exposure that would make us very concerned. Okay. Gerard, we're going to leave it there. Thanks so much for your time. Gerard You're very Cassidy Thank you. of RBC Capital Markets. Um, some may be being thrown out with the bathwater, uh, Tim, so I'm curious if you're finding opportunities since you are the one who advocated stock picking specifically for banks. 
Yeah, I, I think so. Um, again, I mentioned PNC. I, I think some of the other regionals, remember there was a time after that SunTrust BBT, we, we thought there was going to be a whole flood of, of, of uh, you know, forced marriage, excuse me, uh, marriages of complementary strengths. Um, I, I think you also look at the money center banks. Uh, and my point is that I think they were very conservative. I know it's impossible to know uh, on where they threw those loan provisions, up, but they were certainly putting them up there in excess in many cases of where we were in 2008 and 2009. So I, I think not every money center bank uh, is created equal, but back to JP Morgan, which is best of breed and which has been very conservative in, in, in how they have built this business. Um, I think for investors that are taking a medium term view, this is exactly the environment after a crisis like this where you get opportunities with great franchises. Karen, um, I believe that we know where you stand when it comes to JP Morgan. Are there other financials, though, that you own? <laughs> Yes, <laughs> I do. I own Bank America. Um, I, 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 I think my more, most money in J.P. Morgan, Bank America, and Citibank also. And I'm starting to look a little bit at uh, German financials, which obviously have had just a very, very difficult run. Um, but um, some of them are trading really like options at this like, point. Like they, which ones? You know, I mean, that, that really bucks. caught me um, off guard, German financials. I didn't think that those two words would come out of your mouth in that combination. Yeah, I, <laughs> they rarely do, actually. Um, but so a Deutsche Bank, a Commerce Bank, I'll look at that. I haven't done anything yet. I don't have positions there. But um, my, I, clearly, we've seen how negative rates can hurt banks, Right. Um, those are two examples, but they've really just gotten annihilated. They're so cheap, the value part of it makes me interested. Guy Dami, I'll go to you. There's somewhere, so many places to Hi, go Mel. here. Hey, Guy. Um, Gerard's top pick is BAC. Karen is looking at German financials. Yeah. It's interesting. I mean, I think Karen would agree. I, I don't necessarily know that a Deutsche or a Commerce Bank can be a long-term investment. Maybe it can. I mean, I think to me they set up more as a trade. But, you know, I've been pretty steadfast in my uh, disbelief and dislike of German banks, specifically Deutsche, for quite some time. In terms of the bigger banks, you know, Citi's trading at a huge discount to book value. I mean, a ridiculous one. Maybe that's trying to tell you something. But, you know, J.P. Morgan, the reversal today on decent volume it could trade up to $100 in a flash, and percentage-wise, that's a pretty significant move. So if you're, if you're asking me to play the would-you-rather game, Deutsche, Commerce, BAC, it's JPM. All right, we've got some breaking news here from the New York Stock Exchange. NYSC President Stacey Cunningham writing an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal saying the exchange will start opening on May 26, this following strict social distancing guidelines. Grasso, will you be there May 26? This is the day after Memorial Day. And uh, what are some of these guidelines? I'm assuming I'm going to be there. And, I, and, and I'm also assuming there'll be some medical testing. They'll be six, foot, uh, six feet away from each other. There'll be limited amounts of uh, personnel from one firm to another firm. Obviously, facial covering. And we'll play it by ear from there. And I will uh, most likely, God willing, I will be there as well. What have you gotten? Have you gotten anything directly from the NYSC, Grasso? Or is this the first that, that you're hearing? This is, by the way, um, a, a I piece not... penned by Stacey Cunningham that, that was published in the Wall Street Journal this afternoon. I, I was not on the call. Uh, my partners were on the call because we, we had our show to prepare for. 
but um, I'm sure they're not going to allow uh, people to travel on mass transit because there's too much gray area there, too much exposure risk there. I think it'll just be a, a, a very controlled environment. They'll take it one step at a time and they will not open unless they are very confident about reopening. So mm -hmm. they must be very confident about reopening on the 26th. If the symbol of Wall Street is opening, reopening, I should say, Guy Adami, does that mean, you, I mean, are you optimistic that there will be trading floors again, that people will be going to the CME? You know, the list goes on and on. Yeah, I think we'll see that. And I think a large part of the, the, you know, the rally we saw today was probably predicated on that. I think there's some news out of New Jersey about, Beaches open. I think, you know, the market sort of got itself together on the back of those news. I, yeah, I'm optimistic that at some point we get back to some sense of normalcy. But getting back to full normalcy, I, I think we're a long ways away. This is a good start, but it's a start. All right. Coming up. Only. Coming up. Shares of applied materials hitting after our session highs on earnings. We'll break down the results from the uh, chip equipment maker, plus casino stocks hitting the jackpot today. We'll find out what is behind the move when Fast Money returns. Edward Jones, who knows that just like life, financial planning isn't only about long-term goals. It's about the moments big and small along the way. And when it comes to achieving everyday financial goals, Edward Jones works hard to connect you with someone you can trust professionally and personally. That's why they created their free financial advisor matching tool to help you find a financial advisor in your community. When you take the quiz and get your matches, don't expect just a list of resumes. You'll also see each financial advisor's story and personal interests. And when it's time to meet for the first time, they'll focus on your story, asking questions to understand where you're headed and why. Because Edward Jones knows that at the end of the day, behind every financial goal is a life goal. And that's what really matters. To learn more and find your financial advisor partner, take the quiz at match.edwardjones.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings alert for you. Applied Materials up 4% on results. Josh Lifton has uh, the breakdown of the quarter. Josh. So, Melissa, I checked in with Mitch Steves over at RBC. He covers the name. I want to get his quick take. He notes that Applied Materials generated, he says, about 25% operating margins. He says that was better than many thought. Display segment up sequentially, a positive. Companies still seeing strong demand. We also just got that news that TSMC is building a fab in the U.S. The journal is saying that TSMC will announce, maybe as soon as tomorrow, plans to build an advanced chip factory in Arizona. And Mitch Steves is saying that should be good news for certain names in his coverage universe, certain semi-equipment names and applied materials, he says, would be one of them. Notably, the company did not provide guidance, but CEO uh, Gary Dickerson saying, listen, the situation is fluid, but based on the visibility, what he's seeing now, supply chain is recovering and the underlying demand, he says, remains robust. On the call, Dickerson saying in Q2, they were impacted by the lockdown, which impacted suppliers. Uh, that particularly hit their semiconductor system segment. But Dickerson saying we are in a much better position today. Noted there are some pockets of weakness called out what's happening in autos and industrials. Consumer spending, he says, a potential headwind, though the pandemic, he noted, and we've heard this, of course, from a lot of tech CEOs, accelerating adoption, he noted, of tech, just given what's happening with work from home and learn from home. Bottom line, he said, underlying demand is robust. Our business, he says, can deliver double-digit growth for the fiscal year. Melissa, back to you. All right, Josh, thank you. Josh Lifton uh, with the details on AMAT. It's a pretty stunning move uh, for AMAT. 
with a 5% move in the after-hours session and almost 6% move in the regular session that started uh, in the early afternoon-ish. Tim, uh, what do you think of AMAT? Well, you know, they, they'd already pulled guidance. You had some sense, if you listen also to the peers, that uh, they continue to say this is right now more of a supply side issue, not necessarily as much of a demand side. There's clearly a fair amount of uncertainty going into the second half of the year. Um, some questions are about the, the Department of Commerce uh, announcement on exports, and, you know, I think that creates some complications. Um, but, but again, you know, semi-systems are most of their revenue base, um, somewhat mixed between DRAM and, and NAND. And, and I think, you know, this is the same story with a lot of the semis. You've had some parts of, of kind of the, the memory, the bricks and mortar that have traded okay, um, but overall semis have, have really actually outperformed relative to the cyclical headwinds. Uh, I don't need to do anything with this one based upon still a lot of uncertainty, and, and if so, I would prefer, and I've said, I, I prefer something like an Intel. Top pick and chips, Guy. I think Intel's right. I think also AMD, if you saw the move today, I think those two, but quickly on AMAT, you know, pulled guidance, yet they see robust demand. Those two, to me, are somewhat incongruous, but, you know, maybe I'm not a CEO of a company. You know, with that said, to Tim's point, you know, this move to wherever we are now, 56, I mean, you go back to the $70 high we made, I think, in February and the recent low. I mean, this is basically a spot-on 50% correction. I mean, I think you take the opportunity, if you've been in the name for the last few weeks, to take profits and look elsewhere. And elsewhere for me would be AMD. All right, let's switch gears here. Check out shares of MGM. They surged today as the casino plans to reopen its Las Vegas hotel at 25% capacity. So could you gamble on these casino stocks right here? Grasso. Yeah, this is one that I've, I've stayed pretty consistent on. If you have to be here, there's, there's nothing that's going to look the same. We hear from restaurants. We hear from airlines. Nothing's going to look the same. You talked about this whenever we talk about the casinos. What's that, what's that tables? What are the tables going to look like? What are the slots going to look like? So I think if you have to play it, you have to play with your gut and play with what you like. Las Vegas, LVS, is the one I would say to, uh, to risk it on. But I don't have to be in the casino space. I think there's tremendous amounts of headwinds. The business is not going to look nearly what it looked like as we entered the coronavirus. And who knows what it looks like five years from now? I mean, I think one of the biggest differences is that you won't have the convention or conference business coming back for a very long time to Las Vegas. How many groups do you think associations, uh, you know, trade fairs are going to say, you know what? Let's actually have a convention where we all get together physically and let's have it in Las Vegas. Guy, I don't know if, if you decided today, that's still a year out. Yeah, and you remember, if you, you can hearken back to President Obama's quick line about, you know, that really decimated Las Vegas about conferences many, many years ago. And, and what you're talking about is very similar. I mean, different reasons, obviously. It doesn't repair itself overnight. And, you know, but one thing, you go back and look at when. And when bottomed out, I think, on March 18th, so about four or five trading days prior to that S&P 500 low. And we started talking about that. Uh, in early April, how wind was trading well. And we said that, you know, basically on nothing but just things improving slightly, you know, this is a stock that can get up anywhere from between 85 and $90. And quite frankly, that's what happened. I think you're now in the period of time where you're starting to sell the news on the back of these, you know, 25% reopening, 30% reopening, and looking for another entry point. So I think I'm sort of with Steve on this one. In terms of wind, I think you try to buy it back if it trades $70. Are the arguments against the casinos the same arguments that, Karen, you would say, 
That's why hotels won't do well for quite some time. That's why the cruise ships won't do well for quite some time. Uh, somewhat. I mean, I get, I, I'm, I'm just, it boggles my mind that cruise ships are actually taking bookings for next year. Um, I think that um, I don't. I, I don't know the transportation part of getting to Las Vegas. If it, if you know, we're now looking at a smaller geography around it, people who could drive, or are people going to start to fly in the near term. And I also wonder, at what point does low capacity actually cost more than being closed? Mm -hmm. You know, you have to have people there to um, to work um, and um, have a functioning casino, but I, I understand you can't open all right away. That That's off the table. But I just think they're kind of grinding towards some hard times um, that I think will be changed for a while. A couple of years, years down the road, I think we will have casino, we will have conferences. I really believe that. People want to be together. They want to meet. All right. Coming up, the airlines hitting some new headwinds today, but one top-ranked analyst says there is still big opportunity in the space. We'll bring you some names that could be ready for takeoff and later... Gold mining stocks among the big movers today. Winners, in fact. Will their run continue? Fast Money's back in two. Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen pose that question to guests like Paul Ryan, Al Gore, and Judy Woodruff. Come for the stories. Stay for the substance and expert insights into some of the most challenging issues facing the country including affordable housing, crime, and education. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Demand for energy is projected to continue rising in the future. To help keep up, Chevron is increasing their U.S. oil and gas production, and they're innovating to help do it responsibly across their operations, including their Gulf of Mexico facilities, which are some of the world's lowest carbon intensity operations, helping supply energy that's affordable, reliable, and ever cleaner. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash meeting demand. Welcome back to Fast Money. Some big news out of Delta today. The company says it could be overstaffed by as many as 7,000 pilots come this fall. They've got 14,000 pilots, so that's a big difference there. Phil LeBeau is in Chicago with all the details. Phil. Hey, Melissa, we'll talk about the Delta story in just a bit, but I want to bring you up to speed on some news that just crossed within the last 15 minutes. Representative Peter DeFazio runs the House Transportation Committee. He has sent this letter to the CEOs of all the airlines, essentially saying, you know what? Keep the middle seat open. You say you were going to do it, now do it. He's troubled by the pictures he is seeing. He also wants the airlines to limit their capacity to 67% full. In other words, the planes would have one-third of their seats Empty. We'll talk more about that in just a little bit. Now to the Delta story. It all ties in to whether or not these airlines can function profitably over the next couple of years. And when it comes to pilots, they've simply got too many at Delta. Today they said the 14,000 pilots are 7,000 more than they will need in the fall of this year. And oh, by the way, when you look at next year, they expect that by the third quarter of 2021, they will have 2,500 to 3,500 more pilots than needed. Remember, Delta is currently burning through about $50 million a day. And when you take a look at the airline stocks, they are all on pace for having just a horrific first half of this year. As a group, 
This is a group that right now burned through $10 billion in the month of April. They're all trying to bring that cash burn rate down, but it's being tough because they're really not booking many passengers. In fact, right now, their passenger loads down about 93% compared to where they were at the same time last year. And the ARCA Airline Index on pace for its worst year ever. So, Melissa, it will be interesting to see whether this letter from Representative DeFazio forces the airlines Mm -hmm. to keep those planes two-thirds full at max, because if that's the case, they're really going to struggle if, in fact, travel comes back later this year. Is there any implications in the letter where DeFazio is is asserting you should do this, operate at only 67% capacity, because we loaned you money, we bailed you out? He, he mentions the fact that they received a government bailout, but he also takes a swipe at the president saying, look, this was an ill-conceived plan in terms of how the airlines uh, were, stru- the bailout was structured for them. He does say, look, if you've got to raise your fares, commensurate with the fact that you're not going to be able to fill those seats, go ahead and raise the fares. And I know what people are saying, yeah, that's fine, go ahead and jack up a fare by 40, 50, 60 percent. But if you're running an airline, it's already tough enough to con- convince people to fly. Now you're going to tack on, I don't know, another 100, 130 bucks onto a ticket. Do you think people are going to want to pay that? It's tough enough right now, and they're also fighting the fact that they were designed to fill as many seats as possible. Now you're asking them to change their business model. Yeah, the fares go up two times, Phil, and there will be letters complaining about that as well, I'm sure. Phil about yes. thank you. Uh, in you Chicago. Bet. Let's uh, now bring in a top-ranked airline analyst, Helene Becker. Um, she is the managing director over at Cowan. Helene, great to have you with us. I want to get your reaction, first of all, to the news that Phil brought about the letter from Peter DeFazio to the airline CEOs. If airlines had to run at 67 percent capacity, and, and we assume that they could fill every seat of that 67 percent capacity, what does that do to the airlines? Um, thanks for having me on again, Melissa. Yeah, it's, um, look, they won't make money, <laughs> you know, plain and simple. Um, they can't do that sustainably. They can do it for um, a few months. Um, they can even do it a month or two without raising fares. But to Phil's point, they're going to have to raise fares, which has the effect of discouraging demand. And that would have the effect of kind of people self-limiting, and, and they would sell fewer tickets anyway that would, would have some middle seats open. Um, you know, the other solution is to offer people to buy the middle seat, but you saw the reaction that got last week when Frontier Airlines did that. Right. Uh, Karen's got a question. Karen? I do. What about for these regional jets that have a single aisle? There is no middle seat. What, what, what is the configuration going to be for those? Yeah, that's a good question, Karen. I don't know the answer to that. My my suspicion is it's like A in this row, A and D. You know what I mean? Like two seats per uh-huh. row. Yes. Other because I don't know how else they would do it with no middle seat. What's the path forward, Helene, for for the airlines? So that's fifty percent capacity. Yeah, that's right. That's right. dramatically. That's already fifty percent. Um, what is the road forward, in your view, Helene, for the airlines at this point? I mean, their demands that they don't pack the planes. I mean, the business model. I don't know if the business model can even work if they don't try and pack planes. And then you got Delta cutting back pilots. I mean, what can the airlines do in this coronavirus pandemic environment to operate? and remain yeah. going concerns. Yeah, I, you know, I have PTSD from that, um, from thinking about that. Um, 
so here's my thought and in terms of how we go forward. This is not going to last forever, number one. There are very smart people, as you guys have on your programs all day long, working on viruses and treatments and so on, and it will get resolved at some point. Um, so that's number one. Number two, in the short term, which let's say is the next two to five years, because we've said it will take three to five years to get back to 2019 traffic levels. Um, and, you know, when you think about that and you think about, people getting back on planes. Let's just think about, you know, the idea that first stuff has to open again, then people will want to travel. Visiting friends and relatives will come back, I think, faster. Um, I think people want to travel and want to get out of, you know, their homes. Um, having been locked down for so long, you see that as, as states reopen. Um, you know, I think what's going to happen is domestic short haul comes back first. And then domestic, regional, as stuff opens and hotels open. Um, and international is probably, you know, two or three years away. You have to have, you can't go to London if they're going to force you to quarantine for 14 days. So you're not going to see that international travel. And I think that's what you're hearing from Delta. And they're not mm-hmm. the only ones. They're, they might be the first ones out there with a plan. But, you know, a week or so ago, you guys reported and talked about United um, basically having a scorched earth policy where they said something similar um, about the fourth quarter. They just didn't put numbers behind mm-hmm. it. Um, but we, we estimate 800 to 1,000 aircraft will be permanently parked by the end of this year, and 150,000 to 200,000 people will lose their jobs. Um, I think the airlines are going to try to do it through voluntary means, uh-huh. Um, like early retirements, things like that, as opposed to doing involuntary leaves, because that's so painful for right. people. Uh, Guy, you got and, a question? Yeah, Guy. Yeah, I mean, how are you? Thanks for being here. So the Boeing CEO, Mr. Calhoun, made a comment. It was in response to a question, so I don't want to go far down this rabbit hole, but he basically said, I'm paraphrasing, you know, one of these major carriers is going to go out of business or go bankrupt. Do you think he misspoke, or do you think there's some truth there? No, I think there's truth there. I mean, I think that everybody, that's our concern, too, of course. What we have said publicly and what we have written is that you are not going to see a bankruptcy this year because there's been money given to the airlines by the government. And, you know, I don't call it a bailout. I know everybody does, (laughs) and I do, too, from time to time. But, but I look at it as an unemployment program that's being administered by the airlines on behalf of the government because this, is, this money isn't designed to bail out shareholders or bondholders. This money is designed to pay their employees for mm-hmm. six months when the prudent decision, if you're an airline CEO, would have been to ground as much aircraft as possible to preserve capital and to furlough as many people as possible to preserve capital, and that's right. not what they're doing, and that's not what they want to do. Yeah. I don't, did that answer Guy's question? I don't know. <laughs> yes, it does. Yeah, that makes total sense. Helene, it's always great to have you, always great to speak with you. Thanks so much for your time. Helene Thanks, Becker Melissa. of Cowan & Company. I think, you know, as, as, as much as people may not want to hear that, that is the truth, because if you are a business and nobody is buying your product, what do you do? You don't keep paying your workers indefinitely. You don't keep, you know, running these airplanes. You got to conserve cash immediately. And that's not what is happening with this government 
bailout, loan, grant, whatever you want to call it. You're delaying the inevitable. And that's exactly what the airlines have come out and point blank said. They said, we're going to wait till the day we can lay people off to lay people off. So they are simply delaying the pain that will be felt uh, across the industry and by the people who work at these airlines, Tim. Yeah, I think, you know, Mel, you, you, you nailed it right there. Also, airlines are vilified for running for profit, which is what they've done for the last five years as the sector's re-rated. So we have to be clear. Um, we wanted airlines to be more efficient and more focused. Delta will survive. And Helene talked about this. This will come back to some semblance of normal at some point. It's about who can hold through. Um, Delta is the one you should have the most confidence. They'll have $10 billion of cash by the end of the second quarter. But, but Delta's been the smartest in terms of how they built their business. And they're probably going to go back and target uh, demographics, their best customers, not necessarily going for as much of the lower carrier or lower budget stuff. They're going to go for whatever is out there that's higher margin. And it may mean less flights, uh, but it's how they've survived. And I think it will probably be the right strategy. Steve? Yeah, so I agree with Tim. Delta and Southwest were the only ones that entered into this with investment-grade debt across all credit rating agencies. So you have to stick there. And I, I, with our guest, the uh, domestic flights will come back sooner than international. UAL has the biggest leverage to Asia, so I'd stay away from that side. But when you look at the domestic carriers and Delta and Southwest, those are the areas to stay Stay with strong balance sheets and then stay with the domestic carriers. Look past this. Right. There will be a vaccine. There will be therapies. And eventually we will get out of this. You know, we, we talk about how things may change forever in terms of behaviors. And, and one thing that is often talked about is how people conduct business, Karen, and in terms of meetings, not having to make that flight to wherever to have that one meeting or that those three meetings. Um, and if we are to, to say that things are going to change in terms of businesses. If you take that part of the equation out permanently, that is a, a fundamental change to the business model for the airlines that they operated under pre-pandemic. Right, I mean, that's you know a big portion of the business gone. But I think you know we, we kind of talk about the equities and then there's the business. So we can, so an airline can go under, right? We saw it in 08 and 09, right? Auto companies went under, yet they did survive. They did, they did restructure. They were able to continue as a business and keep people employed. So I'm hopeful that even if we see, uh, you know, bankruptcies, that there will still be viable businesses there underneath, and they'll just be able to operate with less debt, right. uh, but smaller, because some of that demand has gone away. Guy, last thought here. Listen, I mean, history is littered with disastrous outcomes born of good intentions. So that was sort of what you're alluding to earlier when you asked him that question. But in terms of the stock, which is really why we're here, I mean, Delta, Delta made a new low. It breached that March 23rd, whatever it was, low, but reversed on two times normal volume. So if you're looking for a trade, much like J.P. Morgan, which we spoke about earlier, Delta really set up well today. So that's the place I would look. All right. Coming up, we are serving up a triple play of food stocks that will make your mouth water. And later, business on top, party on the bottom. <laughs> the wild and wacky new investment opportunities in the stay-at-home, work-from-home trade. Stay tuned.
Welcome back to Fast Money. Hungry for gains? Well, good, because order's up. We've got a trio of bullish Wall Street food calls for you. Piper Jaffray increasing its price target on CMG. Evercore upgrading Wendy's to outperform on strong breakfast sales. And Credit Suisse upgrading McCormick because more people are staying at home, more people are cooking, and that requires spices. Guy, which call sticks out to you? For me, I mean, you know, the, I, I'm, I'm a huge baker, as you know, and McCormick's the name we've actually talked about. And yeah. I think, if I'm not mistaken, that stock made a new 52-week high today. So valuation is a concern without question. But I got to tell you something. All these folks now that are learning about spices and baking, they're not going to magically forget six months from now. This might be one of those trends that sticks around for a while. So if you're asking me, would you rather in the food space, which you clearly were, it's McCormick. And get that paprika, folks. I'm just letting you know. It's you good know, stuff. From personal experience, I tried ordering cumin, and it was very difficult. To, I mean, cumin is sold out <laughs> everywhere. I mean, who, who would have thought, Karen? Uh, well, I wouldn't have thought. I wouldn't have known to order it in the first place. But, yeah, that, it's crazy times. Yeah, I went to Karen because she doesn't cook. I thought that'd be funny. All right, coming up, check out the gold miners shiny today and now have double digits on the year. Traders are digging in on the big rally, plus big banks breaking out and options traders are betting on an even bigger rally for one name in the space. We've got much more coming up on Fast Money. Welcome back to Fast Money. Shares of gold miners topping the tape today with the GDX ETF rising more than 3%, now up more than 80% from its lows of the year. Shares of core mining, Harmony Gold and Newmont all outpacing the market. So, Guy, um, what's going on here? Stay with it. It's, it. What's going on is everything we've been talking about now literally since September 17th when that overnight Fed repo thing blew up <clears throat> and we talked about the reasons to be in gold. And now, as you see... You know, President Trump respectfully touting negative rates and all this, you know, all, just all the things that are out there in terms of central bank activity, it all, it all steers its way towards gold. So that story's not changing. And Newmont Mining just keeps chugging along. Every single meaningful sell-off in the last six months has been met by incredible demand. And I think you've got to stay with these stocks. As much as they might appear to be overdone, I don't think they are at all, Mel. Uh, Steve Grasso, you like the miners? Yeah, I do. And usually what you see is that miners will outperform the metal by two or three to one. And we actually aren't seeing that this time around. And the miners were underperforming. Now they're just starting to make up some ground. So I think you have some room on this trade, on the GDX, on the miners ETF. I think you could roll with it a little bit. And to Guy's point, you have central banks around the world just printing an excessive amount of money. And we always think that should translate to higher gold prices and then it fades. This time, we've never seen anything like this before. And that's why I think that gold will really have some tailwinds going forward, not just for the next couple of months, but for the next couple of years. Tim, where do you go on gold? Uh, I think all the reasons these guys have talked about gold should go higher. I, I, I do think we have priced in this environment, however, and I do think we've priced in central banks and I think we've priced in you know, liquidity where it is. I, I'm not telling you gold can't get to 2000, um, but it's not a straight line. And, and I think the minute we start to see uh, some recovery here, and I mean, we get back into it and we're obviously going to uh, have fits and starts, but, but gold is something that's going to be one of the first things to sell off. I think people chase gold um, often right at the wrong time. Uh, 
and I wouldn't be chasing the gold miners here. Uh, you know, 115 percent move off the bottom on 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 the GDX off those intraday lows. Um, I, I just, you know, Newmont is the best of breed, but um, they still have a, a, a need to pay down some debt. I still think a lot of these miners are not terribly efficient and not run well, even though they're run much better than they were. So I'm not someone that's chasing this trade. All right. Coming up, Wells Fargo surging alongside the rest of the financials today, and options traders are betting that the run is far from over. We'll break down the action. Don't go anywhere much more fast right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Another check on the bank stocks up big in today's session. And over in the options market, traders are betting that today's bounce back could be the first step toward an even bigger rally for the big banks. Mike Coe's got the action. Hey, Mike. Hi, Melissa. Wells Fargo traded more than three times its average daily total options volume. Most of those bets were bullish. Calls out pace, puts by about three to two. And while a lot of that activity was basically expecting the move from today to follow on tomorrow with the options that expire tomorrow, we did see some longer dated trading as well. The June 25 calls were the ones that caught my eye. They were paying about $1.40 for those. So buyers of those calls are betting that Wells Fargo could rally another 10% by June expiration, so within the next month or so. But we have to bear in mind, Wells Fargo has obviously been very severely punished. Today's move might be the first step. It might not. This is a way that people can make a bullish bet without risking a great deal. All right, Mike, thanks. We'll see you tomorrow. Mike Coe, for more options action, be sure to tune into the full show. That is tomorrow, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Still ahead, makeup, shaving cream, and pants. How the work-from-home boom is sparking a whole new world of investment opportunities. We'll give you the trades when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. It's no surprise that the shift to working from home has changed your daily routines a bit, but just how much? According to a Fishbowl survey, 54% of women have stopped wearing makeup entirely. 70% of people are either shaving less or not at all. And 75% are taking their Zoom calls in their pajamas or leggings, 10% are only wearing underwear. 10% only wearing underwear. (laughs) Sometimes you just can't unsee things. Um, So that got us thinking, what are the trades here out of this? Because if this is a trend, if more people are going to be working from home, maybe they are buying fewer lipsticks, Karen, or fewer shaving blades or whatever it is. Yeah, I think so. I mean, for me, the trade is Lululemon, which I am long, despite it being very expensive, because it it was trading like a retailer that was going to survive and do very well. And I think it should be trading like a COVID winner, uh, because, I mean, I personally resent wearing pants now that are, you know, more formal. And who knows how long it's going to be like this. And I see the Peloton revenue and it and they already had a great online presence already so for me lululemon i too um am against wearing structured pants these days and in favor of the athleisure trend <laughs> steve grasso i don't know what you got on there can't see it so yeah <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah i i think i think you guys are right but the problem is with lulu they make a ton of money off the stores too so i can't imagine you you, you know what those lines look like in Lululemon. I can't imagine that we're going to see any of those lines anymore. So I would probably take some profits in Lulu. It, it is, as Karen said, it's expensive. It's always frowned upon based on valuation. And I think that this is probably as good as it gets near term if we're starting to restart the economy. Um, Guy, I'll, I'll go to you and, and Tim, for that matter. I mean, 
you know, I love it when guys who are saying, oh, I'm going to work from home and they go on Zoom calls and video conference calls and they don't shave. And so they've all got beards now. It's like they sell razors in the store still. You can still buy razors in quarantine. My shaving habits have not changed. I'm a Monday, Thursday shaver. As the audience knows, you'll notice I'm clean shaven. Nothing has changed for me. I'm knotted up. I, you know, I, I'm still rolling like I used to. I'm with Finnerman on Lululemon. This bottomed out at 128. If you recall the old game show, Joker, Joker, and the triple. Yep. Well, this sucker is going to double by earnings, which means 128 to 256. All right, let's do quick final trades. Tim Seymour. Yeah, it's double covered by a lot of makeup here. Uh, J.P. Morgan, best in breed bank. And, and I think, again, this is one of those opportunities where if you're looking at with some medium-term horizon, you're going to love J.P. Morgan here. Steve. Shake Shack. This one's traded like we're never restarting the economy. Shake Shack. Karen. Uh, bank of America for me. Guy. Delta for a trade. All right. Thanks for watching Fast Mad Money starts right now. Everything is changing so fast. I mean, back in my day, we were lucky if we could get one video to load. But now with the Xfinity 10G network, you can power a house full of devices at once with ultra-low lag. The future starts now. Restrictions apply. Actual speeds vary and not guaranteed.